Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of The View Podcast. As we continue to explore conversations with brands that are shaping up the future of fashion, we realize that there's been some incredible insights on here. For those of you who haven't tuned in yet, we've been featuring leaders who are changing the game in retail, whether it's companies like Yerdl, Mercado Libre, Tata Click, or many other fashion brands that are really moving the needle. We're having conversations with retailers that are really pushing the boundaries when it comes to customer experience, innovation and technology, and changing legacy systems that just don't work anymore. And you know, I think one of the biggest things that's really impacted how retailers are functioning is AI. We've talked about data-driven business decisions, automating processes, and creating experiences at a larger scale using technology. And a company like Radius totally fits into this space of personalized fashion. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Barak Kepli, the founder of Radius Tech Fashion Services. Welcome, Barak. Hi, Akshara. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's an honor to be here and talking to you about these interesting topics. Oh, thank, thank you. Fantastic. Um, it's great to have you on our podcast as well. So, um, Barak, I didn't want to spoil it for our listeners, but I'd love for you to talk about how Radius came about and what problem you were really trying to solve. Well, um, it's, it's, it's actually a long story, but I will, I'm going to try to keep it as, as short as, and as interesting as possible. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, I guess we're, we're, we're a startup and we are kind of boutique in terms of we are flexible and we adapt to the changes in the industry as, right. as quick as possible. And I think that the start of the story is, 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 explains everything better than anything else. So I was, I was back in hometown in Turkey for eight, until the age of 18 and then I, I come to London. And uh, back, back in home, I was quite quiet coming from a privileged background and I I didn't need to explain myself to anyone. Right. But then coming to London, you're, you're nobody. No one knows your background. No one knows your family. And meanwhile, the, the, there was new technologies coming up. And so uh, I found my path in, in this technology company that we were producing 3D printers. And it was a disruptive technology, and we had to launch it into market. So while I was building my self-identity, I was building the image of this new technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the main conversation was happening on Instagram because that was the hype around back then and the people were defining themselves on that platform as well as the companies. So um, this gave me a perspective of how people define themselves and how they consume stuff. And mm-hmm. these all, over time, with my experience, evolved into Radius. And that comes what, what Radius is. Radius basically understands the consumer's uh, defines what their 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 interest defines what what inspires them more importantly, and then they translate this into to information so that retailers can act upon it. And I guess, as you would have heard about it many times, this is one of the biggest problems that that retailers have. Used to the the consumers would be inspired or get information directly from the brand or the magazine or or, or something that right. the retailer or the brand had to, had the power of, but now it has shifted. The, the the consumer chooses where to get the information and how to be inspired, and because the brands don't have control over it, they they are really in deep need of someone an intermediary to translate what the consumers want and what they can offer. So the con- communication could be facilitated. And that's exactly what radius do. We understand, we listen to the consumers and we listen to the brands and we tell 
look, these are your consumers. If you want to have an engage with them in a valuable context, you need to facilitate these, these stuff. And that's mainly around the experiential strategy. Right. That's interesting you said that about, you know, consumer experience, because I was reading, um, you know, Accenture's personalization pulse report recently, and they were talking about how, you know, consumers don't really want brands to define their journeys, but they want brands to offer experiences that can help them carve their own paths. Like they want to be able to um, enjoy that level of personalization themselves. Right. So, how how accurate do you think that is? 91% of shoppers are more likely to shop with brands who offer them very relevant things. Do you, as somebody who's building a model based on personalizing, you know, in-store and physical experiences, do you think that's accurate? Oh, well, that's a brilliant question because personalization is, I guess, con conceived in a really wrong way. So, right. for example, one of the biggest e-commerce platforms they show me a, a specific product just because I bought the same product. It right. doesn't mean I'm going to buy it twice, like over and over again. I need to buy the complementary stuff. So personalization is understanding what, what I do as a consumer and how I can improve my experience, how they can improve my experience as a retailer. And uh, I guess uh, the personalization, just bringing something in front of a consumer is not enough. The best example is Netflix, for example. They love the recommendation engine that Netflix provides because right. it gives the reasoning behind the personalization, saying, because you have watched these movies, uh, we found these, these other contents relevant to you. But on the other hand, the, the other platforms, they, they do the personalization without giving any reasoning. And that people feel, oh, I didn't want to share this private information with you, and now you're acting upon it. So you have to show me the reasoning or how you get this information. So yeah, the, the consumers definitely want personalization, but how, how the brands and retailers present to them is much more important than personalizing the experience because I need to be, I need to feel comfortable and I need to feel that I'm valued as a consumer when a retailer does a personalization. I shouldn't just feel they are, they are ex exploiting me with, by using my data. Right. So I think that's the sweet, sweet spot, saying we personalize your experience, not just because we want to make more money, because we value you and we share some, some common ground with you. And that comes to the, not just the product level, comes to the values and, 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 and the vision we have as a brand. And you have to pass that. You have to convey that to the consumers very clearly. And you need to ground the personalization efforts. Uh, with respect to that shared values and vision. Right. I think what you say about personalization is quite true because there's, it's, it's a word that's been used so much that sometimes, you know, um, the meaning of it can be a little bit diluted. Uh, can you tell me, you know, an example where you really feel like there's a myth about personalization or can you debunk some myths that people assume about personalization, for example? So, um... I kind of love buzzwords because uh, everyone loves them. And when you go to a meetup, when you go to a conference and stuff, you see the, the hype technology that, that people already all talk about and stuff. And when you deep down to it, they actually have no idea about it. And that's absolutely fine because the more people think, the more, the pe the more people talk about it, the more people feel they need to act upon it. And um, mostly these personalization, AI, blockchain, before that it was the 3D printers, before that it was big data, whatever. 
they are mostly for the promotional efforts, but not for the sake of making things more more convenient and better. Right. So, uh, in terms of personalization, uh, I guess the, the the previous example just I gave like a few minutes ago, the showing me uh, a specific product that mm -hmm. you will only buy I don't know once once a ten years. Just because I bought that product, it's not going to mean I'm going to buy the same product in two days. Right. Such a lawnmower. Like, I'm not going to get a lawnmower for my garden every single day. Yeah. I'll just buy it probably once, right? Yeah. So uh, I think that's the biggest um, failure that the, that the personalization effort has gone. Right. Um, and, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Radius itself, right? So can you take me through what exactly it is that you do within store and physical experiences? So uh, currently, the another I'll just throw another buzzword out there. So the omni-channel, right? Right. Um, <laughs> so the, the the physical and the digital experiences are now uh, merged. Like we cannot talk about oh they only shop online or they only shop in the physical yes. retail. Yeah. It's not the case anymore. So everything needs to be connected in a sense. So as a co customer, I want to make sure if I go to a website, they pop out a a skiing banner because they know I'm going to shop for the skiing season means I have to have that same level of, again, personalization in the physical store. So it, it, the, 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 the communication and the experience should be consistent throughout the whole, whole journey of the consumer. So we, uh, I, I, I really enjoy putting it in, in this way. So the way you go to a store and the way you see a personalized banner, we try to do that for the retail environment. Right. So the, the inspiration should be within the store and within the control of the retailer. But it's not just for the manipulation. It should be for the sake of facilitating communication with the consumer. What right. does that mean is, um, let me give you a, a specific example from the cases we, we recently done. So for a commercial area, uh, they allocated a pop-up area for, for temporary tenants. So they came to us and said, this is the area, this is this, this uh, city in North, North UK, and we want to have tenants here. They had few questions. First of all, how are we going to find the tenants? And the second question is, how are we going to convince the tenants to be, become, become a pop, have a pop-up here? Right. So um, I think the, the, the main element was there, is there going to be a consumption? And what are the consumers or the visitors of the commercial area expect? Mm -hmm. So we analyzed their existent the, the current consumption behaviors we understand what they purchase when they purchase why they purchase and then we understand who they who these people are right and then the the all are translated into the potential tenants saying these brands are aligns with the values and the consumption behaviors of the current consumers in the area so right. they should be the tenants so the 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 both problems is that is is told with just one approach saying we know who the consumers are we know what they consume and you know what these tenants actually provide this service and it's going to be it's going to be a commercial success for all of you guys and more importantly consumers will have a reason to come and will be inspired to purchase and not just that because uh, just making a product available is not enough now we, you just need to make sure the consumer comes there, they know it's there, and they have to have a reason to come there, not just to buy something. So we find the right storytellers. Let's say um, 
these brands are associated with with nature, with with sustainable or veg, vegan eating. Right. So we identify the the we call concept influencers. So these influencers are the ones who don't sell anything, but just share their information, share their insights about a given topic. Right. So this pop-up environment is now turned into an, an environment that a topic has been circulating, that people want to come there to get inspired. And luckily, they can buy the products that, that they are inspired from. So the, the, the end-to-end journey is, is closed in the, in, in the sense. Whereas on the internet, you go on Instagram, you see a product, you see a topic that, that interests you, and maybe you want to buy a product that is associated to that, that topic, that concept. But then you need to find the product, you need to find the brand, and then purchase it, and then wait for it. So this, this amazing omnichannel experiences, we drive their inspirations from internet, and then we, we put it in a physical environment. And as, as we all know, experience is mostly physical. Convenience is digital, but experience right. is the human interaction. You have to look into eyes. You have to hear his voice. You have to, I don't know, you have to have all your senses working towards something to have the full of an experience. So radius gives the right elements to make sure this experience happens in the right way between the consumer and the brands. Absolutely, I agree. You know, um, I definitely think that uh, we're heading towards an experience economy, um, if we'd like to call it that, because every every time we look at a report now or we look at just the way consumers are responding to um, experiences, it's absolutely a lot more valuable because we understand um, you know, why they need their stores to be navigated a certain way, what they're looking for in a store, how they want to leave the store, how they want to feel at a store. There's so much that's involved in it that you know, you get only with a physical experience. You don't really get that sometimes with a digital experience. So absolutely, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, funnily enough, you were talking about buzzwords, right? So every year there's some interesting themes that always tend to be the focus in retail. So, you know, whether it's brick and click or like you said, omni-channel, showrooming, um, you know, self-serve, social commerce. What are some of the trends that you see retailers actively picking up on, you know, in the next... Uh, at least in the last seven, eight months or the next 10 months that you see? Oh, well, I think, I think um, I might be quite biased on that, but the pop-up stores is on rise now because now the, the corporate companies, the big mega retailers don't have flexibility to change their environment, change their experience. Right. But the pop-up stores give them the chance to try out new stuff and if it doesn't work they can be like yeah, it was just a pop-up store yeah and, it was an experiment uh, the, exactly so uh, now the, the the mega retailers have realized this and luckily the creative industry has adapted in a such way that they support these these pop-up environments so i think uh, just uh, the, the way it sounds like really fun and stuff pop-up is the new buzzword i would say and the economy shows that the, the, the market is expanding for temporary stores is, is phenomenal and, uh, and it's something real. You see that people go there and people enjoy their time and, and the consumption increases because there are so many facts like um, because the pop-up is temporary, the, the consumers feel, oh, I have to be there, I have to see right. it. And, right. and they, they touch a specific thing that 
is going to circulate really, really nice on social media. So they want to go there, they want to post a picture. And you yeah. know what? If they're already there, they're more tempted to buy something. I feel like the experience is very um, ephemeral with pop-ups, right? Because it's a, you're testing the concept, but you just don't know how it'll turn out. It can be completely amazing. It can be sold out. Like whether it was the, you know, brands like Kith who did like a collaborative pop-up with Captain Crunch, you wouldn't expect two brands to come together to do a pop-up, but that could be something that just blows up or it could be like a limited edition pop-up where people feel like they have to get their hands on something. They have to be there, otherwise they're missing out. So it's a great way to test and see um, how, you know, shoppers are responding to this, right? Personally, what I, what I enjoy from experiencing a retail environment is the local environment. So in my daily life in London, I want to make sure everything is convenient. If I need to wait in the queue, I know, I want to know exactly how long I want to wait. But when I go to the different countries to, to see what's happening all around the world, I tend to go for the local experience. So what I mean is I was in Mumbai in, in April for, uh, to build a bridge between the creative industry of UK and India. Oh, and um, yeah, in the, in the first day, I was like, I left my phone uh, in, in the hotel. I left my cash in the hotel and I just had my credit card and I didn't have anything else. So I just went down the street to, to see how people, because it was my first time in India and I wanted to have the local experience. Right. It was, it was intense, as, as you would imagine. But yeah. uh, what I'm trying to get there is the muscle tea. So I put this quest on me saying I need to get the, the muscle tea from a local, local shop. Right. So, uh, yeah, because there are so many touristic places and stuff, yeah. you see the prices are, are high and the quality is low and there's no experience at all. So I went to these streets. It's like really narrow. I can see they can barely speak English. They can do a few things. But uh, at, at, and even at some point, you feel the fear saying, oh, my God, what I'm doing. Like, I don't even have my yeah. phone. I don't yeah. know how to find my way. And, and I don't have a cash. So... I'm trying to speak to the local people saying, can I check your phone and find this local store? I go to the people saying, do you know any local place and stuff? And in the end, I went to this place with an old lady who speaks barely English, but has the most amazing teeth, right? right. So, um, and she was really friendly because I know not, none of the tourists go there and only local people go there. And I, was, I didn't know what tea was what, and I was just pointing out and she was just pouring the tea and preparing it on the spot and making me taste it. And um, at that point, I didn't care about the price because she was taking care of me as if she was, as if I was his, his, his um, visitor, like she was right. hosting me in, his, in her home, uh, own house, basically giving me tea, right. saying, did you like this? Did you like that? Even though we didn't speak the same language, right. I could understand from the gestures. And this local experience is something you cannot get in high streets. Yeah. Same, same thing happened in China, same thing happened in Italy. And these experiences should be translated into, into the, the whole world because that's where the, the intimacy, where the genuine uh, interaction comes from. And what I, that's what I call a unique experience and what's fun. Otherwise, everything is too commercial and too popular just going to a pop-up store and seeing the popular items and just seeing an, a different version of the same thing is, is just not pleasurable for me, I, I guess, I guess. And um, yeah, the, the India trip was amazing overall, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my God, that's actually a really interesting story because I think um, 
you know, I think what really comes out of it when you tell someone the story is really that whole aspect of someone really paying attention to you and giving you something that's very specific to what you are looking for. Um, and at that point, you know, even something like a pricing might not matter because you're getting something that's specially made for you, which is, which is always a really nice thing for any, any shopper, any consumer to feel like, um, yeah. Uh, and you know, Burak, um, what is, what do you think is like retail's biggest threat, you know, in the next five years? Is it, uh, you know, customer acquisition costs, or is there a huge challenge to adapt to the circular fashion movement? Um, is it the inability to completely adapt to an integrated supply chain? What are your thoughts on that? To be honest, we make fun of people using buzzwords a lot. But I think the biggest problem is the buzzwords themselves as well, mm -hmm. because um, a trend comes out, and if so many people are talking about it, the rest of it don't think if it's actually necessary or, or not. They they actually think they feel the necessity of following this trend because everyone is talking right. and that's quite faulty that's that the, the change is happening the improvements are happening but at the same time the changes are happening in one direction in the whole industry it could For be example, dangerous the, yeah exactly the the big players are quite reluctant to do, try out any new stuff because they have their reputation at stake right. and the small players don't have the 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 effort or, or, the, or the potential to make changes because they can only, they are exposed to a limited portion of the market. Right. So um, only the buzzwords actually make the changes in the industry. And yeah. this disruptive technology is saying, um, does the society direct the disruptive technology or does the, the technology development of technology changes the direction of society is right. the main question. And, um, Coming to taking the thing back to the radius, and I think I don't know what's going to be the change, but I can say our our value and our vision towards the changes. I'm coming from an, an a communication background, so I I don't have any skills in terms of coding or or I don't know graphics and whatever. I yeah. I'm just good at observing and listening and understanding what's happening around and what's changing. Yeah. But the best thing is. We are co-founders of three, and we all know each other for many, many, many long years. And it, and every, uh, the rest two comes from really different backgrounds. And one is uh, has won the UK Data Science of the Year in 2018. Oh, wow. So, so the, forming this bridge helps us to understand the change really quickly and validate it through a logical mind through to uh, my brother who's the bridge actually saying look this is the change this is the technology how we adapt to that and that's where we find out uh, luckily the biggest commercial potential is at the same time where the actual change happens so in terms of the change i don't know where is it going uh, it's definitely going to a direction where the consumers will be the ones who favor it and walking down the high street you see retailers are already paying for the prices they made um, the mistakes they made in in the past time like there was a retailer that i contacted like 10 years ago when i was a high school student saying you don't have a, a franchise in turkey please let me be your franchise <laughs> really amateurish really like having no company at all i was like i like your products and stuff and now after 10 years not because they didn't reply to my email, but probably because of something else, they are closing 360 stores all around the world and wow. one on the upper street. Yeah. And um, 
and because they don't adapt to changes, because they don't care about, uh, they only care about their legacy and saying uh, we are indestructible. That's not true. He, they have to change. They have to adapt to the changes. And more importantly, they have to listen to their consumers more, more cautiously. Fantastic. Um, so that brings us to the end of our podcast, Barak. Thank you so, so much, because I think we learned a lot about Radius. We learned a lot about, you know, um, what you're looking to do in this whole in-store and physical experience space. Um, and we also, you gave us a lot of really good insights. So thank you so much. We're very, very happy to have you on the podcast. No, Akshara, thank, thanks a lot for having me.